Well, good morning and welcome to our service. Great to have so many of you with us here today. <clears throat> Great to see your faces. Welcome also to those of you joining us online for our live stream. I uh, want to let you know that we will celebrate communion today, the Lord's Supper. So for those of you here, in the event that you did not pick up one of these little uh, prepackaged communion elements, <clears throat> feel free to grab one of those at any of the doors. Uh, we'll celebrate in about 25 minutes after the message. Those of you at home, perhaps you've got some bread handy or juice, a near substitute, uh, may want to have that ready, and we'd invite you to join us as well. Um, do note, your bulletin today has a little perforated strip on the edge called uh, titled, Hey, I'm Here. We always appreciate it if you fill that out and drop it in the basket at the doorway when you leave. And those of you worshiping at home, you can fill that out online as well. We really appreciate knowing that you're, you're with us as you fill that out. Well, we're talking about benedictions, biblical benedictions and what they mean for our lives. And today we're going to talk about the benediction that I think is perhaps the most commonly spoken blessing by the Lord for his people in scripture, and that is peace, the blessing of peace. I expect that's something all of us would like to experience more fully in our lives, particularly in a, a year like the one we have just come through. Uh, many of you have experienced tremendous stress with uh, schooling, those of you who've got young kids at home with kids, perhaps financial stresses, World uh, News and World Magazine this week reported about a woman who experienced all three of these at once recently. Jennifer Bryant is a student in social work in New York City, and um, she has a four-year-old son named Noah. And unbeknownst to his mom, four-year-old Noah got access to her Amazon account. And he saw in the account something that very much appealed to him, SpongeBob popsicles. And so Noah placed an order, four-year-old Noah, and the order showed up at his door, not just one pack of popsicles, 51 cases between 900 and 1,000 frozen popsicles showed up at the Bryant's front door at a cost of $2,618.85. Now, Amazon refused the return. And so I don't know if uh, Jennifer had a lot of freezer space, but she was pretty desperate as a student um, to pay for this. So friends, fellow students of hers started a GoFundMe page. And as of May 7th, they had raised over $13,000, which she plans to use for Noah's education. So certainly all things worked out pretty well for her. I don't know what happened with the 51 cases of SpongeBob popsicles, but at least Noah was happy. Well, we all have something to worry about, don't we? I suspect, uh, you have things come up unexpectedly like that frequently as I do. And we're going to talk about one of the most common benedictions in Scripture, the Lord's peace today. Before we do, I'd like to take a quick review of the benediction we looked at last week because it is really a classic benediction. It's probably the best benediction in Scripture. And by benediction, I mean a, a blessing that is spoken or written for God's people it's found in Numbers chapter 6, and you'll see it on the screen. It reads this way. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, 
Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus shall you bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Now note again, these are words uh, that originated with God. These are the Lord's words. He gives them to Moses to give to Aaron and his sons who were the priests. They were the ones who presented sacrifice, represented the people before God. And God wanted these words spoken over them. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. And then God says, so shall they put my name on the people of Israel and I will bless them. As we looked at this great benediction last week, we saw three things that were true. First of all, behind biblical benediction is the name of the Lord. God's name is representative of who he is. God is the giver of benediction. God is the giver of blessing. God is the giver of every good and perfect gift. Secondly, benedictions in Scripture reveal God's will for His people. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you His peace. When God gives these words, it's clear that God wants His people to experience peace from Him. One of His great blessings, one of His great gifts for His people. And then thirdly, we saw last week that these benedictions that we find throughout Scripture can guide us in praying for and blessing others and ourselves. We looked last week at how benedictions can help us to form prayers of blessing for ourselves and others. Now today, I'd like to switch to the New Testament. And uh, we're going to look at a, a short New Testament book, the book of 2 Thessalonians, which has kind of hidden within it several benedictions. Now, you may be wondering, how do you recognize a benediction in Scripture? That is a, a blessing that God has inspired to be written to, spoken uh, over His people. Often a benediction includes the word, begins with the word may, may the Lord bless you, may the Lord keep you, or the word is simply understood. And um, for example, the first one that we see here. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, reads at the very beginning of this very short letter of only three chapters, Paul writes, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The word may is understood. May God give you his grace. May, may God give you his peace. This is one of the most common benedictions in the Bible. And as you read the letters written by Paul, uh, most of them are introduced with a blessing like this, a blessing for God's people, uh, grace to you and peace. It's interesting to me that in almost every case, uh, every case I can think of, grace precedes peace. It comes before peace. And I think there's a message for us in that, that we must receive the grace of God provided through faith in Jesus Christ before we receive the benefits such as peace that come from being rightly related to God through faith in Jesus Christ. Grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, God's will for his people. Oftentimes in scripture, benedictions and prayers are, are 
all but inseparable. They're so linked together. They're so woven together. It's hard to tell them apart. For example, as we move a few verses along in the book of 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, we read these words. Paul's still writing to the same church, and he writes, to this end we always pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of his calling, and may fulfill every resolve for good, and every work of faith by his power, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, some of you may lead small groups in our church, and maybe you're praying for those in your, your small group. This would be a beautiful prayer for those in your small group. Those of you who have children, perhaps you're holding a, a young child, praying for that child at bedtime or at any time, really, and praying, God bless this little boy with your peace, your grace. May you so work in his life that every resolve for good, every work of faith by your power be fulfilled in him. May the name of the Lord Jesus be glorified in him. Benedictions and prayers are so woven together <clears throat> that they're often inseparable. We come to another benediction in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and it's a beautiful benediction kind of hidden in the middle of 2 Thessalonians. It's a blessing of comfort. And Paul says, now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good word and work. You have a friend or a member of your family needs comfort. Maybe you need comfort yourself for some grief you're going through. Take these words, form them into a prayer. God, you're the one who's given us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, through what Jesus has done for us. Would you now comfort our hearts? Would you establish them in every good work, in every good word? Benediction of comfort. Maybe you use that praying for a friend who's grieving. Another benediction kind of hidden in 2 Thessalonians is a benediction of love and steadfastness. Paul writes in chapter 3 and verse 5, May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God. What a great way to pray for yourself or others. Lord, please direct my heart to the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ. Do you have the steadfastness of Christ in your life? The word translated steadfastness means patience, perseverance, being steadfast, steadfast, faithfully walking with God despite the trials you, you face. Lord, direct my heart to the love of God, to the steadfastness of Christ. These benedictions reveal God's will for his people. They provide us a way to pray for and to bless other people. Near the end of this little short letter of 2 Thessalonians, we find these words, the letter ends, uh, comes to a close, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Many of the Apostle Paul's letters end this way, grace be with you, or grace and peace be with you. But the one I want to focus on today is the one near the end of the letter in verse 16, and it very simply reads, now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with you all. Now think about that for a moment. 
Is this something God wants to do in the lives of his people? All scriptures inspired by God. God himself breathed out these words to be given to us through the Apostle Paul. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. God is the giver of peace. The benediction he himself has inspired here is to give his people peace at all times and in every way. So does God want Christians to experience his peace? Yes. There are three ways in which the gospel provides for us to have peace. The first of these, and by far the most important, is peace with God. Peace with God. We recognize that we are alienated from God because of our sin. God is perfectly, infinitely holy, and we are not. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. But the Apostle Paul writes these incredible words. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. To be justified means that God declares you righteous. He declares you just. On the basis of what Jesus did in his sacrifice on the cross, as he writes in Colossians chapter 1, that in Jesus the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Jesus God worked to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven. How? Making peace by the blood of his cross. This is peace with God that has been secured by Jesus shedding his blood on the cross, paying for our sin, being raised from the dead, so that through faith in him we are called just, made righteous, given peace with God. The prophet Isaiah wrote about it about 700 years before Jesus the Messiah came. When he wrote, he was pierced for our transgressions, he, Jesus, was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement, that is the punishment or the judgment that brought us peace. And with his wounds we're healed. Jesus took our place. He paid the price to bring us peace. Peace with God. This, friends, is the most important peace. Regardless what trials we face in life, what pain we may experience, no sin, no trial, not Satan himself, no adversary can take this peace away from us because we didn't provide it for ourselves. Jesus provided it in his death and in his resurrection, and it's given to us freely through faith in him. Being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Do you have that peace? This is the most important peace to experience. It's given freely, comes through faith in Jesus. But when Paul says, may the Lord of peace give you peace at all times in every way, he's talking about even more than this. He's talking about the fact that the gospel also provides for us to have peace from God. May the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. God wants to give us peace in the situations we face daily in life. 
And one of the ways he's provided for us to experience his peace daily is by the presence of the Holy Spirit. Jesus spoke of this in the Gospel of John chapter 14 when he said before he went to the cross, these things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the Helper, the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, the one whom the Father will send in my name, he'll teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I've said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. The Holy Spirit will be with you. Therefore, my peace I leave with you. Several verses later, Jesus says, I've said these things to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Jesus is saying that regardless of what you face, the trials, the tribulations that come your way, you can experience my peace because of two things. Number one, the presence of the Holy Spirit, and number two, the words of God. These things I've said to you so that in me you may have peace. The Holy Spirit, in, a, in the most beautiful way, takes the word of God in Scripture, and as we contemplate it, works to provide this peace to our hearts. The Apostle Paul gets even more specific, though, when he talks about how we Christians can deal with the anxieties that we face perhaps daily and experience the peace that comes from God for us. Peace at all times and in every way. And he gives this, this very practical means of experiencing peace in Philippians chapter 4. What he says, do not be anxious about anything. I, I can't think of many verses in the Bible that speak to me more frequently than this one. Because he says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, big and small, by prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. He uses four different words to speak of prayer. Prayer, supplication, thanksgiving, requests. I think he does that for emphasis. Give it to God. Take it to God. Bring it to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. God knows that our, our hearts and minds need to be guarded from anxiety that can plague them all the time. Now, in a moment, we're going to talk about how to do this in a little more detail. But for the moment, as a little aside, I think it's important that I say something. Not all anxiety stems from a lack of faith in God or lack of trust in God. Many people, including many Christians, experience a degree of anxiety 
it's not simply based on a lack of prayer or not having committed something to God. Type of anxiety that may be based on something hormonal, perhaps a chemical imbalance. Um, and sometimes the answer to our prayers can come through the help of a godly counselor or therapist or medical professional. And I just want to say this to you. There is no shame in seeing a doctor, a counselor, a healthcare professional, if you are struggling with something that you've not been able to overcome. In fact, there can be great wisdom in that. The fact is, medical caregivers, godly therapist counselors, can be one of the greatest gifts from God to bring about healing in His people. I praise God for their presence, for the times I have been helped that way and those I know have been helped that way and many in our church who serve others in that way. So I want to say this to you. If your struggle is, is, is really significant, there is no shame in getting help for something. I wouldn't hesitate to go to, to a doctor if we had a broken bone and have them put it into a cast. But some people, when they experience something in their soul, feel like it's shameful to go and get help. It's not. It may be very wise. God's good gifts promote the health of his people, and sometimes they come in the form of a godly gifted counselor, healthcare professional, doctor. Now, the gospel provides for us, so we're going to come back to this in a moment. Most importantly, to have peace with God. The gospel provides for us to experience peace from God. But there's a third way the gospel provides for us to have peace. And we must not neglect this because it can interfere with our peace from God. And that is peace with other people. Jesus said, blessed are, giving his own benediction here, the peacemakers, the ones who work to bring about peace in relationships. They'll be called sons of God. And to be called sons of God meaning means simply they're being like God. They're doing things God's way. James writes, a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And then, in my personal favorite verse on peacemaking in the Bible, in Romans 12, in verse 18, the Apostle Paul writes, if possible, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And I'm smiling because I'm glad he put the words in there, if possible. <laughs> it's not always possible. It's true, friends. There, there, there are times... You can do everything you can do. You can repent. You can apologize. You can pray for it. You can try to walk in love. And there's some people you, yourself, cannot change. Some people are best loved from a distance. <laughs> it's true. Everybody, even in your own church, doesn't have to be your best friend. However... We've got to do all we can do on our part. We can't hold 
resentment within. We can't hold bitterness within. We can't hold unforgiveness within. And if you struggle to love somebody, I find the best way to change your own heart is praying for them, praying sincerely for God's good work in them. That's the best way uh, to have God change our own hearts. Now, the reason I stress this form of peace is that all three of these are linked. All three of these are related. Most importantly, we must have peace with God, which comes through the gospel of Jesus Christ. But it's hard to experience the peace from God that comes at all times and in every way as we walk by him if we're not at peace with others. All three are important. So let me try to recap, and then I want to come back and dwell on one of these. Number one, applying this to ourselves. Do I have peace with God through faith in Jesus? This is how God deals with our sin, with our shame. Doesn't mean when we have peace with God, when we've been saved, when we've come to him through faith in Jesus, doesn't mean we'll never have anxiety, we'll never have worry. But it means despite the challenges we do face, our eternity is secure. And there can be a deep inward security because of our faith in Jesus Christ, who holds us in his hands. And no demon in hell can snatch us away from his hands. Number two, as far as I know, have I done all I can to be at peace with other people? Now, the Bible calls me to, to forgive when wronged, to, to love even my enemies, to bless those who curse us. And when you've done all you can do, if possible, so, so far as, as you can, so far as it depends on you, when you've done that, don't carry the burden of it. Release it to God. Be, on, be sure your own heart's free of resentment. Walk in love and, and, and pray and leave it with God. Don't live under condemnation about that. Not everybody's going to be your best friend. Some people are best loved from a distance. I want to focus now on this one, though, peace from God. Am I following biblical steps to receive peace from God? And, and come back to our, our, our verse of focus for the day. May the Lord of peace give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord of peace give you peace at all times and every way. How is the question I want to raise? How do we do that? How do we respond when anxiety comes our way? And I'll, I'll confess to you it's something I've wrestled with a lot in life. I want to suggest three things. <laughs> Number one, identify the source of your anxiety. It's not always obvious what's keeping you up at night. Are you afraid of losing your job? Are you worried about someone's health, worried about your own health? Is your child dating someone you don't approve of? Is there a conflict at work? Is there a conflict in your family? Identify what's, what's causing the anxiety in your soul. And then do what the Apostle Paul says. Commit the issue to God in prayer. Again, these are such powerful words. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything. 
by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. And when he says with thanksgiving, I think he's saying we do this with such trust in God that we thank him that he is able to take it from us. Let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I like to think of committing an issue to God like this is rolling a heavy burden off my shoulders and on to God's. Imagine that you're carrying around a 50-pound backpack all the time, and it is weighing you down. And that's your burden. That's what's creating your anxiety. Here's what Psalm 55 in verse 22 says, cast your burden on the Lord. Take that 50-pound backpack and roll it off your shoulders onto his omnipotent shoulders. And he will sustain you. The Apostle Peter makes it very clear in the New Testament that we should do this with all our anxieties. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. God's will is that we not carry anxiety on our own shoulders, but through our trust in him, our faith in him, cast them onto his omnipotent shoulders. They are no burden to him, and our doing that is an expression of our trust in them. He doesn't want us carrying them. He wants us casting them onto him. But we realize sometimes the worry comes back. What if the anxiety comes back? What if the worry comes back? After you've taken the deliberate step to commit it to God in prayer, to cast the burden on Him, contemplate. Contemplate the truth of God's Word. Immediately after saying what He does in Philippians 4, in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Paul says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about, think about these things. After telling us to commit these things to God in prayer, he tells us what to think about. Let your mind dwell on these things. Scripture teaches us that we should put our minds on God and His Word. The psalmist writes, Great shalom, great peace, have those who love your law. And the prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 26, You keep Him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Maintaining peace has a lot to do with our thought life. Or I should say it this way, our thought life has a lot to do with maintaining peace. Much of the battle for peace is in the mind. And personally, I find it often necessary to take scriptures like some of the ones we've looked at today and to just quietly meditate upon them, reflect upon them, find it very helpful to memorize them 
and to contemplate them when anxiety comes. Identify the issue, commit it to God in prayer, cast the burden on him, and contemplate his word. If, if, the, if the idea of contemplating scripture is new for you, we have some free booklets at our resource center that's just on your right as you go out the main way to the coffee bar uh, called Biblical Meditation. Some how-tos there for just thinking about, meditating on, contemplating a verse of scripture. There's no charge. Pick those up if that is helpful to you. Now, before we celebrate communion, I want to give you just one example of how you might do this for yourself in the form of a prayer. I find it often um, helpful to write a prayer, taking the benedictions or the prayers of Scripture to address a particular issue. I find that it helps me to, to more formally commit something to God cast it on his shoulders, and to continue to contemplate the promises of his word. And so here's a sample prayer. You can write your own by taking the prayers or benedictions of Scripture. But here's an example of one. Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus Christ, my Lord. I commit to you my concern about, and you fill in the blank, whatever it is. Be anxious for nothing. Cast all your anxieties on him. Bring to you my concern about this. I cast my anxiety about this onto you because I know you care for me. I ask that you resolve <clears throat> this situation for the good of all. May your peace now guard my heart and my mind in Christ Jesus. And may you, the Lord of peace, give me peace at all times and in every way for the glory of your great name. Amen. Now that prayer, the little references at the bottom, is just a combination of words from 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. Cast all your anxieties on him, for he cares for you, from Philippians 4, 6 that we've looked at, and from our key verse today in 2 Thessalonians 3, 16. Very simple, something you can do with any issue that you face in life. Now, let me just say this again. To receive his peace, we have to know him as the Lord of peace, the God of peace. And that comes by having peace with God through faith in Jesus Christ. Again, Jesus bore the judgment of our sin. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. He bore it on the cross, and in his dying there, in the shedding of his blood, he brought about our reconciliation with God. And it's only because of what Jesus did that we can have peace with God now and for all eternity. We're going to celebrate what he did by what we call the Lord's Supper or communion today. If you'd like to participate with us, be sure you got one of these little cups. And again, if you haven't got one yet, you can grab one just outside any of the sets of doors. But before we partake, I'd like to read what the Apostle Paul wrote about this. He writes, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. 
And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So if you choose to take a little wafer, a little piece of bread in a moment, and the cup, that's what you're doing. Proclaiming that you, by faith, have received the benefits of the Lord's death for you. Paul then gives a, a word of caution. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink the cup. Now, I think he's reminding us this is no mere religious ritual. It is important that we understand what we're doing. We've truly put our faith in Jesus Christ. It's one reason I think people sometimes ask, how, how old should my, my child be? I think your child should be old enough to really have understood and embraced the gospel to, to uh, take the Lord's Supper. Um, and so I'd like to take a moment and pray and uh, allow the Lord to search our hearts. Allow a, a, a moment of silence and then we'll partake together uh, if you'd like to participate in this. So would you join me as we pray? Father, we come in the great name of our Lord Jesus. We have no hope apart from you, but you, Lord, have given us life through our Savior Jesus. You've redeemed us by his blood. And now, Father, I pray for anyone here who has never truly put his or her faith in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. Would you bring that one to the saving knowledge of yourself this day? And would you now speak to us and show us if there's a sin we need to confess or a person we need to forgive before we partake? of the Lord's Supper. Amen. First, the wafer. You've got one of our little package cups. It's on the bottom. As you peel it off, you have to be careful that you don't drop it. So it can fall out pretty easily. I'll give you a moment to hold that, and then we can partake together. The body of Christ given for you. Give you a moment to peel the lid off the cup. The blood of Jesus shed for you. We're going to take a few minutes now to worship the Lord. Reminder, we will not pass any offering baskets, but the baskets 
for the hand here cards are at the doors as you exit. But as we worship the Lord together for just two or three minutes, if you've got a need for prayer, you just want somebody to pray with you, for you about something, I'd invite you to make your way either to one of the, the prayer tables against the back wall or to one of these front rows here. And we've got a couple folks uh, ready to come your way and pray with you and for you if you have a need. And I'll close this in just, just a moment.